the views expressed in this program are those of the host and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining me in the studio today is my co-worker and colleague and sometime tormentor, Carl Hassler, the associate, the, the associate director of IT security and IT and network and system services. Carl, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Um, Carl's also a donor to WVUD, so all of you out there listening, yes, you can donate and support. Anytime. Absolutely, at WVUD.org. But we are digressing. We brought Carl into the studio today to talk about National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Every October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. What is it, Carl? Well, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and we call this NICSAM, N-C-S-A-M, is a, um, it's a collaborative effort. It's a sort of a joint effort between the government and industry to uh, equip or provide resources to every American to enable them to be more safer and secure online. I've noticed at the site they've got things for K-12, to college, governments, all sorts of people, so you're exactly right. What's new this year, or what's the theme this year? Well, you know, each year the theme is really, really um, consistent, and it, it changes a little bit, but it all has to do with the individual. The theme this year is our shared responsibility. And that, and that really gets to the individual and says each and every one of us needs to do our part to make sure that our own online lives are kept safe and secure. This is actually getting to be pretty important, isn't it? Sure is. Uh, since its inception about 10 years ago, I'd say, it's been about 10 years, um, between uh, under leadership, I guess it was Department of Homeland Security and uh, the National Cybersecurity Alliance. This has grown every year. And why is it growing? Well, it's because we lead increasingly Internet-connected uh, digital lives. We work, um, we learn, we play online. We bank. Um, yep. And, and, and even when we're not directly connected um, to this, this vast worldwide web that, that supports our everyday lives, um, our individual actions, they, they impact everyone. Um, our individual actions have a collective impact. Each, if each person does his or her part, then it makes it safer, the Internet safer for everyone. So what are people's roles? What, what can the individual do? Well, number one, you want to practice um, strong security um, you know, best practices, uh, picking good passwords, uh, thinking before you click on uh, links that you get in emails, um, updating your system with... Um, the Microsoft patches or Apple patches or Adobe patches. So there's some basic things that, that the individual can do to uh, practice good security uh, protocols. Um, things like we're doing here, raising awareness. There's some, some folks who never think about cybersecurity, and each October gives us an opportunity to uh, talk about it and to raise awareness within the community. And another thing that's getting uh, increasing attention is to educate young people 
Uh, young people are much more digitally connected in their personal lives and um, perhaps take technology for granted and um, it benefit greatly from increased awareness. And uh, lastly, every, every corporation, every, every business uh, should take this opportunity to train their employees to uh, secure the information uh, of the business and of their business partners. This is all very general, but I mean, sometimes we'll get students who'll say to us, but don't tell me what to do, it's my computer. But it really is important that each individual recognize that what they do on their computer can affect others, correct? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the individual really uh, comprises the whole, um, the whole of the information. The, the weakest link is the individual. Um, and when each person practices um, information security habits, good information security habits, it makes our whole digital society safer, uh, more resistant to attacks. And, and if there is an attack, it makes, makes our, our digital infrastructure more resilient you know, when one occurs. Well, why does it matter if I set my password to be the most popular password in America, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? Well, because uh, it, it's easy for um, hackers to guess, actually. There's um, quite a repository of passwords that can be attempted programmatically and automatically at astounding rates, and it would take, oh, probably about half a second to figure that one out. But if they crack my password, does not just affect me? No, because you are a gateway to this collection of computers, this network, this internet, and every person is a, is a gateway. You're like a door, and if your door is unlocked, then folks can get through you, use you to attack others, to get into this house we call the internet. So it's a matter of you're concerned about if my password gets stolen or if Sarah's password gets stolen, that then our accounts might become used to bombard others. Well, I heard Sarah has no, no funds in her account, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily... Well, we're not talking about her bank account. No, we're talking I mean, about her computing account, uh, oh, Carl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. well, you know, anything, everything that you have on the Internet has value, whether you, whether you recognize it or not. And, and the, the thieves, the cyber crooks, are after things of value. Um, you know, where do the, the bank robbers go? They go to the bank because that's where the money is. And, and actually the money here in our cyber world is with the individual's cyber identity. Your social security number has value. Your personal information has value for identity theft attacks. Your banking account information has value because they can crack into your account and, and steal your money. Um, your computer has value. Because if they can plant some remote control software on your account, on your computer, your computer can, the, the services of your computer can be bought and sold on this very sophisticated uh, underground black market. And it's not so underground, it's, it's rather public. That's something people forget about, isn't it? That they, that sometimes people <coughs> just, the scammers just want your computer or your computer account so they can use it as a launching pad other attacks. Absolutely, and that is probably one of the least understood, at least across, you know, throughout our, our cyber uh, community, is that quite often 
the attacks are simply seeking to control, to take control of your computer without your knowledge, uh, and then buy and se or sell that computer access for other types of uh, malicious activity. Let's return back to the passwords and talk about this a little bit because, I mean, for example, I'll just my life yesterday. Um, Tell I me about your life yesterday. I logged into my bank. I logged into WordPress. I logged into UD email. Financial uh, transactions. I logged in Transportation all over the place. systems, healthcare records, emergency response systems, personal communications. This impacts everyone. And it's, it's interwoven very, very deeply into our lives and becomes ever more so. And it's, it's really incumbent upon everybody to understand their individual responsibility. It's a shared responsibility. So the password is the key for most of us for protecting our information. The password is, is probably the, the most overused defense, like the front door lock, and it's the most critical. And if you don't have a good password, uh, basically you are susceptible to uh, compromise. So what are some suggestions you'd have for people for creating passwords? I, I should make something I remember. So if my son's name is Zachary, I should put Zachary in the password, right? Well, you know, it's a, it's a tricky balancing act between picking a password that is easy to remember, like the numeral one, and picking a password that's hard to guess, like every character in the Webster unabridged dictionary in a random order. I'm not typing those. Right. You'd never remember it. <laughs> so it's, it's important to pick a good compromise, and there are some basic rules that will um, enable you to pick a secure password and have it easily remembered. Um, I would say the first thing, the most important thing, is to pick a long password. A long password. A long password, because the, the hackers now are able to string together computers, perhaps that they've stolen, uh, the cycles, and they're able to take encrypted passwords and run them through encryption algorithms to decrypt them and compare them to regular words and dictionaries and do so at an astounding rate. And the limitation, the only limitation that continues to erode though, but the limitation is the length. And so as you get to have a longer password, it gets more and more impractical in terms of how long it would take them to guess it. So the difference between, say, eight characters and 12 is very, very, very significant. And so even if you were to take a phrase that has personal meaning, not out of the Internet, because they're, they're, they're really beginning to make some significant headway into, into uh, cataloging phrases on the Internet and, and, and using those in their dictionary to compare. So if you pick something personal, a phrase, or the first letter in a phrase, those are things that are easily remembered, but very hard to guess. On UD's campus, if you're going to be using any of the central uh, Microsoft-based services, your password has to be at least 10 characters long. 10. Is that sufficient, or should people really be pushing for 12, 15, 20 characters? Well, th 10 is sufficient. 10 is, um, I would say, the minimum. Um, best to go to 12 or, or even higher. We'll allow up to 30 on university-supported systems. Um, and you really become, uh, you start talking about a passphrase as opposed to a password at that point. And not every bank or, or site will have that kind of flexibility in terms of right. the password. Right. But one of the things you can do, no matter what their length is, is mix up the different character types. And that helps, too. Um, picking capitals, if it, if it allows um, 
capitalization, um, case sensitivity, so caps, lowercase, numbers, uh, special characters, expand the character, character set, and expand the um, space that the hackers have to work within to guess your password. So mixing up uh, special characters and substituting threes for E's is helpful, but it really is, it's remember not to pick dictionary words because they have uh, already figured that out, um, that they can replace an E with a three and do so very quickly. It uh, doesn't slow them down very much. Um, and they also have figured out that people are people and they follow human tendencies and they pick patterns on the keyboard. So doing a, a square and, and going around twice on a square with four keys is something they try all those different combinations. My nephew um, once told me I wanted to use his computer and I, it, was, it was locked with a password. And he told me the password because he was across <coughs> the room. And he said, type, I forget what the word was, maybe it was elephant, but move everything one space over to the left. Mm -hmm. Is that a safe thing to do? Well, it's better than the word elephant. <laughs> <laughs> but it still is a keyboard pattern that could be guessed, I but would it's think. But it's a trivial thing to program the guessing algorithm to try words and then try the words shifted on the keyboard. Shifted it, left or right. It really, it really has no cost to... Uh, those who would seek to do evil and guess your password. So the message you're saying is mix up your character types, upper, lowercase, numbers, um, and symbols. Keep your password 10 characters or longer. And, and there's one other thing. If you had one key on your key ring, one physical key that got you into your house, got you into your office, unlocked your bike, what if you lost the key? What if you lost the key? I'd be lost. It's a house of cards dominoes. Everything goes down. It's very important that you have separate keys, separate passwords for separate cyber or information resources that you're trying to protect. So if you pick the same password for all of your accounts and one of them is compromised, say you have a Facebook account and your Facebook password is compromised, um, your and it's the same as your YouTube and it's the same as your bank, they can learn where you might have other accounts and try that password other places and uh, have it help you if you're using it at your bank. This is a bigger problem I think people realize that um, if they guess your password one place, they will try your email address and that password at several <laughs> different places and see if they can get in. Yeah, and it, it's, um, you know, it takes, let's for a moment consider who the attackers are and what their motives are. Uh, it's, it's easy for us to say hacker. Um, and depending on how long you've been around, you might be thinking of uh, a teenager who's doing it for fun. Well, th that used to be the case and that still occurs, but now we have a wide range of attackers, of threats. And it ranges from the teenager who's um, having fun to nation states to organized crime, very, very sophisticated, well-funded, coordinated organizations, gangs, if you will, cyber gangs. Um, you know, picture uh, walking into a large room with cubicles and thinking it's a bank uh, data processing center with, with workers there, but it's really organized crime. Some of the best talent in the, in the world coming out of college 
with educated degrees in computer science are not necessarily working for legitimate entities. So the threat is becoming very, very persistent, very, very sophisticated. And we also have, as I said, nation states engaging in this activity as well. I think that's a very important point to make, uh, that, that it is mm -hmm. more organized, more sophisticated. It's not just, you know, an 11th grader somewhere um, hacking into the phone company. Right. So they may or may not be looking for financial gain. They may be looking for um, trade secrets in the organization. They may be looking to attack or, or get some uh, military information if there's um, research going on. Uh, very important to consider what information um, is not necessarily in your care, but nearby, because you could be used as a stepping stone to get closer to something of value. And that's what we really need to raise the awareness of, is that everything you have or, um, or you know, a part of in a cyber world has value, and it needs to be protected. One of the tricks that these miscreants are using more and more is often referred to as social engineering, where they will try and trick you into thinking that something is the matter or that you need to do something that you would ordinarily not do if common sense prevailed. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most common social engineering scams that people should be on the lookout for? You know, Richard, um, social engineering is just... The, the con game. And the con game has been around since, you know, man stood up. It's old. <laughs> it's, it's the second oldest profession in the world. <laughs> and this is nothing new. And you know what? It still works. And you know what? It works the best of everything. You can build a very secure infrastructure. And people might think, oh, cybersecurity is not my responsibility. It's, it's my my the IT department's responsibility. It, it's, it, it comes down to the individual because the individual can be the weakest link. And individuals, and they know this, are susceptible to being conned. And we call it social engineering now, but it takes lots of different forms. It could be uh, very commonly, it's what we call phishing email, where they send out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of emails from compromised computers that ask for banking credentials that ask for login passwords, that, that advise the recipient that something urgent needs attention and the recipient needs to provide personal information, confidential information, information that only an individual has. Let me tell you, Richard, no legitimate business ever does this. And we really need to raise people's awareness that this is the most successful attack vector. You know, how did the Syrian electronic army get into the New York Times? How did the Chinese military get into the New York Times? Social engineering. So that, that is the most important awareness aspect that we can raise, that if somebody thinks something's wrong, they're probably right. Well, let's, let's get right down to cases. I mean, some of the, one of my favorite phishing tricks is you get email from um, Verizon or uh, Chase or something like that, thanking you for your payment of $1,217.13. And what they're counting on is that you will be so surprised at that that you're going to go, what? And just click on their link. And click on their link. And when you click on their link, there is a communication that goes on between your computer and the computer on the other end of that link. And 
it can be a normal communication or it can be a bad communication. <laughs> and there and quite often they rely on it on you just clicking and if, if there's any unlocked doors on your computer, they will plant a back door on your computer. They will then try to take over your computer to do their bidding, their evil bidding from that point on. The other thing that they will do, of course, if you click on the link, you'll go to a website that's it might look like a Verizon site or your bank's site, yeah, but, yeah. but it'll got to look at the URL because it pro could probably be a site where they're trying to harvest your account information. Correct. And if you're especially unlucky, it will attempt to harvest your information and plant a backdoor on your computer. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, people complain about spam all the time, but I mean, compared to phishing and spear phishing email that's, you know, targeted at you because you're have one of your affiliations, it's so much more detrimental than spam, which is just someone trying to trick you into making a stupid purchase. I mean, these yeah. are people really trying to get you. Yeah, absolutely, and that's becoming the biggest, um, the biggest attack vector, to use our uh, terminology, um, in that rather than just sending out phishing emails to 100,000 email addresses from Verizon, that wouldn't necessarily get traction with folks like me because I don't have a Verizon account. They're finding that it maybe pays to do a little research and figure out, well, who are the Verizon customers? Who will this affect the greatest? Who do we have the greatest chance of success with in conning? So uh, that's what spear phishing is, uh, maybe targeting chief executives with email that talks about uh, a parking problem in a specific lot. So a little surveillance, and that surveillance... That surveillance that leads to the ultimate attack can be rooted in a compromise of a computer within the organization. So everybody's individual responsibility could have an impact on that ultimate spear phishing attack. You sound like we should be suspicious of every link we see in an email message. Well, you should be. Um, email, you know, email... Um, Facebook messaging, any type, of any type of electronic messaging has the same risk in that a link in the message could be malicious and could lead to your account being, um, your computer being compromised. That's it. it That's really it. Don't trust anything. Well, you shouldn't. And if you have doubts um, about something, uh, there are some some entities that send out legitimate email that looks very much like phishing. Uh, you know, one starts with a P and ends with an L. Uh, and if you have doubt about the validity of something that you receive, vet it, verify it. Check into whether it's real or not by contacting them through a known uh, address, phone number, you know, email. You can, it's very easy to, to, to call them back, to email them back, and say, is this real? Did you guys really ask for this? And that will, that will always, always protect you from just uh, mindlessly clicking on a link that you receive. Well, I wouldn't necessarily email them back because you might be emailing the scammer back. It's like I would, I through would an email address that, that you, you can know, verify, that or you that know, you, you, right. can, you can Google it right. and find out how right. to contact Citibank. Or if I get, if I get um, something I'm suspicious of from Verizon, <laughs> I don't click on the links. I go to the Verizon site and log into my account mm -hmm. um, to verify. Yeah, if if uh, and and the, you know the 
um, the phrase that we use to raise awareness is stop, think, connect. And that's really if we could just get everybody aware of stop, think, connect. Those three steps, everybody be more safe and secure. Let's move on to another area of social engineering that has been, oh, I guess going on in Delaware off and on. We've been hearing reports of this one for about the past 15 months or so. That's the phone scams where you get a phone call from Ajib, who says he's a Microsoft certified consultant and your computer has been diagnosed with a virus. And it works better than sending out phishing. Works better than sending out phishing because um, there's a, a, a greater connection to the individual and they know this is the con game. That when someone's speaking to someone else on the phone, there's a connection that can be made, an interpersonal connection, and then a greater sense of trust. And the uh, um, victim becomes more willing to cooperate because they don't want to violate, they don't want to be rude, they don't want to perhaps upset the person who's calling, and they will very often be easily persuaded to comply with the requests of the caller and visit a link that's malicious and install software on their computer that enables the caller, the attacker, to install malicious software on their computer, then that sends, pops up all of these you have a virus message and then they'll con them into buying antivirus software that doesn't exist with their credit card. Another, another it's a, it's, it really is the old con game in building trust and then breaching that, taking advantage of that, of that uh, gullibility. It's really important that people understand here in National Cybersecurity Awareness Month and all year long that you need to have a healthy dose of, well, skepticism. Carl, you got some last remarks you'd like to make before we make way for the Roots program? Sure. As I said, stop, think, connect. If you take security and safety precautions and you understand the consequences of your actions and your behaviors online, you can then enjoy the benefits of the Internet. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archived copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark or online at wvud.org.